everybody. Welcome to Gym Impossible, episode number two. Super excited about my guest. We have uh, Jeremy Lee of Sports Cards Live, and uh, he was uh, honored us to uh, be guest number two in the podcast. Um, continuing off of what we talked about last week, I had uh, just mentioned where I, I started my eBay store. was working seven months nonstop after I found my niche of Michael Jordan cards, looking them up every night, posting new cards, buying, continually buying, continually buying, and uh, finding the best deals, and becoming an expert in the niche of uh, lower-end Michael Jordan cards. And then slowly started getting more and more of the higher cards. But here is the, the huge moment that I alluded to last week. The huge moment that, uh, that escalated everything. Well, I had probably several hundred cards posted and a gentleman sent me a message. And he had actually bought a few of my cards and he sent me a message to say, hey, can I have your email? Which I usually don't do very often because eBay doesn't like that, but we had already bought and sold some cards. So I said, sure, no problem. So he sent me an email and the email he sent was, hey, I would like to sell you some cards offline. And I was like, I was very wary of being uh, gypped, <laughs> especially buying somebody's collection or buying a lot of cards that I can't hold in my hands. Um, and I was so busy buying all these lots of super cheap Michael Jordan cards and uh, and finding my niche and and uh, it was it was working for me as a you know side hustle on my job. Um, but it was working and I was having tons of fun and I love I love Michael Jordan cards, I love sports cards. I feel like a kid again. And literally like every day I would come home and there would be boxes on my doorstep. I felt like every day was Christmas. It was amazing. But anyways, so he started talking to me and he said I have I have at least a thousand cards, maybe even two thousand cards, and I uh, have them all in these binders and he showed me some of the binders and I started to recognize some of the cards and these were very nice cards. Uh, they were refractors. Now, 2016, mid-2016, this was probably around, uh, actually 2017, so mid-2017, uh, you're not looking at, uh, these cards have not hit their peak yet. They have not uh, inflated in price. So they're still hard to get. They're, you're not seeing them in every collection, not the collections I was buying. Anyways. So he starts showing me, and I know the value is, the value of the Michael Jordan refractors was uh, high. You can start getting them two, three, four hundred dollars, and then graded, it goes up, up, up. So, anyways, I digress. I just said, I'm buying these, I'm buying them for thirty cents a piece on all these lots. What would you? I just said, what would be a good price that you're thinking? And he said, I need, this is the part, this is the moment. He said, I need $600 for my daughter's, uh, for my daughter's playground. I want to buy my daughter a playground in the backyard. I need $600. And so, can you help me out? And I said, okay, why well, don't I haggle? Uh, I already know that some of those cards are good. I this was also my very first deal. I don't want to seem like I took advantage of this guy, even though long-term, I really did. But he wanted some money, and I was buying cards. But I was like, even if he's... Even if he's lying to me, as, as long as I get a thousand cards, and they weren't those good cards that he showed me, and maybe the first page is good and the rest are terrible... Um, I'll at least, as long as I get the thousand cards, I'll make it up and I'll, I'll call it a loss, but I'm going to take, as long as I get some of those nice cards that he actually showed me, then we'll go with it. So I sent him the, it was like $650. I get the cards in and they are in immaculate shape. It is page after page of stunning cards. And he even sent me... I asked him, I said, uh, this was 
this was part that was um, in our communications. Uh, I said, well, what about the shipping? And he said, I'll throw in my, uh, my, what was the name of that set? He, he, it was just one of those random Michael Jordan, 1998 random Michael Jordan collections with a few parallels, inserts. Um, but anyways, so he just threw that in there and it was all like 100 of them and they're all perfectly pristine in the binder. He, everything was bindered that he, that he sent and uh, you would see a page of like bombardiers, uh, a great Michael Jordan um, insert, season's best. You had sticky fingers. You'd have a whole page of that. You'd have in, inserts, refractors, and cards I didn't even know existed. I, he, his collection was on par with any any collection except for uh, like museum level collections, which we've all seen those on, on Instagram and whatnot. But anyways, so once I started looking at it, I said there is at least $10,000 worth of stuff here. Now, going off of fast forward, how much of that I collected or how much I graded and how much the price went up, there was at the very least $200,000 worth of stuff in that collection. Uh, now, I thought I 10X'd it and I like 300X'd it, whatever it was. Uh, point being is that moment changed my life because not because I made a score uh, you know I you know I've made m more money than that deal but what happened was I got the cards and I started going through every single night I'd come home I would still buy the lots on eBay that I found that were good but I was going through his collection night after night. I go through what's this card? What is it? What is this collection? So on the back, like this card says CB six on the back. The other one says twenty three. So what's the difference? Oh, okay, that was from his, that was from his uh, team set that year. And I would find out all the little differences. I said, why is this one foil? Why is this one not? Why is this one blue? Why is this one red? Why is this one shiny? Uh, why is this one off centered and looks a little different? And then I would notice that was the that's the McDonald's version. That's the uh, that's the parallel version. That's the ruby version. That is the, and I would start to see all these little different things. And one of the things about being a collector, I'm going to get back to the story. One of the things about being a collector that I noticed about myself is, is I have kind of a photographic memory. Now that sounds a little suspicious, kind of a photographic memory. And what it is, is I remember the things I want to remember and I keep them, I call it my frontal lobe. I just keep it right up here. And I keep what, I constantly think in my mind, what's important? What do I actually want to remember? What is, what's pertinent? And so when I was looking at Michael Jordan cards, every single one that I looked at, I would have like a photographic memory, the year, the brand, the number, uh, and what its value was, what it value was at a PSA 8, what the value was at a PSA 9, what the value was at a PSA 10, what some BGSs were selling for. So that's the type of thing that I started to realize that I was remembering, and that's helped me. So point being, going back to the story, is the value of that deal was immeasurable because I still, to this day, have the knowledge that basically it was like going to college, which I already went to college, but I went to Michael Jordan basketball card college every single night on eBay. And I learned the values. I learned uh, how much they were going for, how much they were going for graded, ungraded, how much they were, if they were off centered. And it was what the parallels were. And it was invaluable because now I have a business. And I would not have done it if it was not for that day, that email. And he never once messaged me back and said, I feel like something bad happened. He actually said, thank you very much. And I appreciate it. And now my daughter's got a, got a play set. And I looked back at it as I felt a little bit bad. But at the end of the day, I was scared to death making that deal. But anyways...
because I was like, this guy, I'm just going to give him $600, and he's going to send me cards. I've never, I never made a big a deal that big. But anyways, over the next four or five months, I was, I wasn't posting the great cards. I started around the mid mid range cards because I felt like I didn't want I didn't I left the refractors alone. I said I need to be more knowledgeable before I even go into those refractors and 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 see exactly what's going on there. So I started going through the cards and I posted one card that I talked about with about with Jake last week. But I posted one card and I got lots of messages. And it was a Scoring Kings. And this was right... Scoring Kings, The Scoring Kings uh, with all the... Uh, with all the lightning strikes around him has is, is always been popular. Don't get me wrong. But it was... Ne- it, it got to a peak and it stayed there and it's an iconic card. But this was right before that. And this was right when people were realizing how, how awesome the card was and how very few times you see it in collections. So people were messaging me like I put it on eBay for just not not too much, maybe like two hundred dollars or whatnot. Uh, I put it at a at an honest price for the time, and people were sending me lots of messages like, "What's the back look like? What is the? Can you send me a close up?" And I was I said, "These guys are grading my cards. They're grading my cards, and they are making a mint." off of me so I took a step back and I looked at this amazing collection that I that I'm looking at and I said there is no way I'm going to let those refractors go without without grading them so I started I already you know as a lifelong collector I never had the money to grade never not not in my wildest dreams that I think that I would be a grader. I would go into hobby collectible shops and I would see graded cards and I would think, I don't even know how would you go about doing that. How would what? How does one do that? I would. Uh, I remember one of my first graded cards I saw was a Roger Clemens rookie, and I just thought that was one of the coolest things ever. That was in a slab. It was protected, and it was a Roger Clemens rookie. Uh, this is when I was Roger Clemens, Clemens fan uh, before all the steroids. Don't get me started on steroids. I'm a purist. But anyways, back to... Uh, what's at hand? Um, so... So I just started looking at them, going over how to grade cards. This was 2017. And then around... I would say around October 2017, a year... From the beginning of my journey in 2016, I sent off my first submission, and I got uh, I got a, a, some tens back on the on the refractors. They've been sold um, since, and it was actually before they skyrocketed in value. But I cannot complain. I got I got it for sixty cents. I got the Michael Jordan refractor. It was a which one? Is it? Which one was it? It was the. It was. It wasn't one of the biggest ones, but it was. It was. It was a nice uh, base chrome refractor, um, and it wasn't a parallel. But anyways, and it came back as a ten, and I sold it probably for. I think it was fifteen hundred dollars when we redid the the office I'm in right now. Was a detached garage. Uh, along, I have a garage, and there was a detached garage, and we did this completely the 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 summer I got married so I had to pay for the wedding pay for the office and point being that it was uh, uh, that that if I didn't make that one deal then none of this would have happened and uh, and the knowledge that was that was made at the time is has come back 1,000 fold because every single day I run into what I learned during that year and grading the cards and I would never have started the PSA I would never have started my own business I would never have gained all the knowledge that I did throughout all these cards now I will say this it got to the point 
and this is the part I kicked myself over because at one point I started grading I started grading cards and I actually quit my job. So this was a year after I bought that collection. I still had binders that I had not gone through because I said the these I got down to the lesser parallels and, and the cards that I saw all the time. There were still some cards I didn't know, but I was like, you know what, at this point if I haven't seen it, if I've seen at this point, literally hundreds of thousands of Michael Jordan cards, and I had bought hundreds of thousands of Michael Jordan cards, hundreds of thousands, and they've come through, and I said, you know what, if I haven't seen it yet by now, then I haven't even heard about it, because I also collected Beckett price guides, so I said, you know what, if I haven't even heard about these cards by now, they're left in these binders, then I, you know, it's, what's the point? Well... This is what happened. I started sell. I started saying, I'll sell them as a hundred dollar. I'll sell them as a hundred card lots. And the very first day that I did that, the very first one sold for like sixty bucks, and I was like, home run! I'm just really good at this. And then the rest of them hardly sold for anything. So I started looking in at the one lot that I sold out of all the binders that were left over from the amazing collection and the card that I sold was a foil game dated Michael Jordan I'm going to put up a, a little link to it or whatnot. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if I have the technology or whatnot but I'm going to put it up but it was a, a game dated foil Michael Jordan that doesn't sound like much and it didn't sound like much to me at the time it was just a foil version of the card because the game dated Michael Jordan card wasn't sold very much for, for anything. It definitely wasn't collectible. It was just a nice little 1999 or 98 Michael Jordan card. But the foil version has the same rarity as a PMG. Astronomically hard to get that card. And I've seen it sold for ten to twenty thousand dollars on eBay, or at least listed that much. And there's it at some point, uh, you know, collectors that really like that card are going to be selling, going to be buying it for that much. So I have no, I have no doubt now that uh, because of the rarity and as rare as PMG is pretty hard to say uh, and, and back it up with the, with the odds on, on the, on the box, which you can on the foil game data anyways. Um, but yeah, so now I kick myself every single time I see that card. I know for a fact that I sold it in a lot of 100 and somebody just paid $30 extra for it. So yet yeah, actually full circle, I got kicked in the butt. Um, and so I made a good deal for the cards, and then I put the hard work in, made the most out of it, but then uh, I lost on the uh, on the full game data. So that's today. To, uh, next time, I will go into more about the processes of what is what I was doing with the eBay store. It's not just uh, it's not just posting every day. There's a lot that goes into it, and uh, all about the journey of getting the graded sports uh the gs there you go. uh <laughs> the gsc raw review graded service getting that off the off the ground everything that goes into it, it's pretty pretty interesting i always tell myself or i tell myself all the time you're not that interesting but i finally have to slow down and say hey this is actually pretty interesting have an ebay store met a lot of uh, awesome people and can do interviews with them. And then I'm also starting my own grading service. Uh, these, these are interesting things. So I'm not, I always, I just have this thought that I'm not that interesting or cool, but uh, I have to tell myself, talk about it, make the podcast. If people are interested, then, uh, then, then they'll watch. Uh, it's definitely been a journey. And uh, so thank y'all so much. Here is Jeremy Lee from Sports Cars Live, and I appreciate it.
Hey, everybody. So today we have uh, an amazing guest. Thank you so much, Jeremy, from Sports Cards Live. Um, how long have you been doing the, the podcast for and where are you from? Introduce yourself. Sure. Th thanks, Ethan. Um, I've been doing Sports Cards Live for uh, 25 months, actually. Yesterday would have been uh, 25 months. I started April 16th of 2020. I'm originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. I currently reside in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So I'm a Canadian through and through. And uh, yeah, I've been a hobbyist uh, my whole life, 40 plus years as a collector now. Oh, that is awesome. So I'm from Northeast Alabama. So I basically consider myself rural and I don't really have too many friends that do exactly what I do. So Calgary, are you, that's actually a nice size Canadian city, right? Yeah, we're, uh, so we're located just north of Montana, probably, uh, I don't know, I, I don't know how, how often I've driven down there, but it's maybe about an hour and a half drive south to get to Montana. And uh, yeah, Calgary has a population, I'm guessing we're about 1.3, 1.4 million people. So oh, okay. it's a good size so city. It's not just ranches out there. Oh no, we're a metropolitan. <laughs> uh, a, a, yeah, we're 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 a city. We're a city. Yeah, you you could hop off the plane here and you know maybe outside of the color of our money and and the climate sometimes think you're just somewhere in, in the United States. Yeah, that's what I figure. It's definitely different here. I'm I live in a hundred thousand populated county in Northeast Alabama, so it's it's a it's a lot different. I mean, I'm not. It's not just ranches out here but it's, it's a lot different um but you you were actually my very first podcast invited me over and uh on the after hour show and i i just wanted to tell you how much i appreciated that because i know i talked your ears off <laughs> yeah, well hey man no you're welcome it was a it was a pleasure having you uh it was it's fun i like meeting like like yourself ethan i just like meeting people in the hobby and talking to them and learning about them, their approach to the hobby, a little bit about them personally. And we got, we accomplished that when you came on my show, which was, gosh, I don't remember when that was, but it feels like it's probably about six or eight months ago now, something mm -hmm. like that. So no, it was, it was a good time. And uh, it's nice to be able to, you know, come on to your podcast now where we've come full circle here, buddy. Yeah. I, you might not even know the name is Jim Mint Possible. So I thought it was a nice little play on words there for a, a, like a hobby term. I like it. So I'm just going to throw out a couple questions to, to get to know you. Um, what are, you'd say, like a off the top of your head, top five TV comedies of all time? You can go all time. All time top five TV comedies. Okay, so easily. Okay, wait, I'll do it. Back, I'll go backwards. And, of course, I'm going to miss a few. But, you know, I come from the uh, – you know, I grew up watching uh, Cheers and MASH and Frasier and, of course – Seinfeld and Friends. I loved all those shows, Ethan. I, every single one of them. You know, I grew up when I was really young. I grew up on Three's Company and Happy Days. Those were my favorites back when I was. And Who's the Boss? I mean, who didn't have a crush on Alyssa Milano when in the in the mid '80s there, as as I certainly did. Um, but you know, my all-time favorite comedy is The Office. I I absolutely love The Office. I've probably watched that series I don't know nine or ten times because. My wife makes fun of me. I watch it on Netflix from season one, episode one till season nine, episode whatever. And then I start at the beginning and I just keep on going back and I keep on cycling through it. I love that show. I think one person said when people talk about The Office, say, do you watch The Office? They don't say, have you watched The Office? Because if you watch The Office, you just keep on watching. It's true, man. You keep on watching. <laughs> It's such a clever show. I uh, yeah, just love that show. So I don't. Know, I, I listed off a bunch there, but uh, I'll stick with those with those shows. Okay. Yeah, uh, you you can't go wrong. I I have, and I have friends way up there, but The Office just hits a whole another level. I totally agree. Um, <laughs> let's jump to who. What's a favorite sports team that meant a lot to you in your life? Could be. I know you're a huge hockey fan. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I'm, again, I grew up in Winnipeg. I lived there for 30, the first 30 years of my life. And uh, we had the Winnipeg Jets and uh, in the NHL. And we never won a Stanley Cup or really were on the map, you know, too, too strongly. But, um, but as a kid, that was my team. And I used to go to games all the time. In the early 90s, we got Temu Solani, who's my all-time favorite professional athlete. He ended up winning a cup with the Anaheim Ducks in 07. 
But the Winnipeg Jets, the the early version, because they left the city in '95, and then they then they 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 moved down to Phoenix and became the the, the Phoenix Coyotes, and so uh, they left, and I was left without a hockey team. I moved to Calgary in 2002, and uh, and I made the the Flames, the Calgary Flames, became my team uh, about a year and a half later. I was watching the, a game with some of my friends, and you got to keep in mind as a as a Winnipeg Jets fan. We hated the Calgary Flames, the Vancouver Canucks, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Montreal Canadiens because they'd come into our arena and we didn't want them to win, you know. So they were our big rivals. So uh, I did not like the Flames before I moved here. But when I moved here, like I said, a year, about a year and a half later, I found myself watching a game at my buddy's house with some friends and the Flames scored. And I, I gave one of these, like, I gave like a, a fist bump, like, yeah. And I looked at my arm, like, what, what was that? Where'd that what come from? What am I doing? <laughs> Getting excited. And uh, that was kind of the first sign that I was going to be a, a Flames fan. And I, I'm a hardcore Flames fan now. And the, the Winnipeg Jets, Winnipeg got a team back again in 2011. The Atlanta Thrashers transplanted up to Winnipeg, believe it or not. And um, and so I've made them uh, kind of my team as well for a few years. But now when they faced off against each other in the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs a couple of years ago, I found myself 100% behind the Flames. So they're, the Calgary Flames is definitely my team. Gotcha. So when you're also a huge basketball fan, I know because you because your huge uh, Michael Jordan collection that I know of, that's just what I know of is, is the Michael Jordan collection. But do you find yourself competing? Like, what am I going to watch? Like, yeah, because yeah. the same seasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It is. The seasons start within two weeks of each other, traditionally, and playoffs, you know, end around the same time. Traditionally, I say that because of, of course, uh, pandemic has changed the calendars a little bit. But, um, you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm a basketball fan. I don't watch as much basketball as I watch hockey. You know, my team would be the Toronto Raptors, are the only Canadian team. Growing up, though, Ethan, I was a Detroit Pistons fan because, again, oh. I grew up in Winnipeg. And I remember I the first time I got a TV in my bedroom, I don't know, I was probably 13 or 14 years old. And the 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 news was coming in from Detroit. We got Detroit news, so we were watching. All uh, I got was Detroit highlights on my TV. This little TV I had on my night on my night table. So I became a Pistons fan in the Bad Boys days when they were up against the Trailblazers and and you know eventually the Bulls. And uh, so I but now during the playoffs I find myself watching both. You know, kind of go. I'll watch hockey when a commercial comes on. I'll go watch a basketball game, uh, but then then I'll go back to hockey. I do find like just in terms of the level of action and entertainment for me, hockey's much more entertaining to watch than basketball. But hey, don't get me wrong, basketball is fun to watch, but hockey's another level as far as action and skill set, in my opinion. Oh, I'm I'm sure. And did you you play much growing up? No. But you <laughs> no. just just loved it. Just loved yeah, it. Yeah, just a just a fan. I'm not much of an athlete. I mean, I played hockey for like one year as a kid. I played basketball a little bit in high school. Uh, you know, I am just shy of six foot six, but I don't have the uh, the coordination or the hand-eye skills to uh, to have been a, a decent player. So I'm a fan. But you know what's funny, Ethan? Like I've been collecting cards my whole, you know, since like 1980, and uh, and I like the cards, you know, more as much, if not more, than I like the sports, especially oh, yeah. non-hockey. So um, I'm I'm a fan of sports cards more than anything. Yeah, I could totally see that. I barely played any basketball at all, but just growing up and, and I was, for some reason, Michael Jordan was on every single night. I don't know. We, I just had basic cable. Uh, but for some reason we, maybe we had a Chicago channel coming down uh, or maybe we had WGN. So that actually is a lot of, had a lot of Bulls games, but anyways, um, seeing them, all the time i just a huge fan and appreciating it even though i'm not i didn't play just like you were saying um now you have a show that has become wildly popular did you sports cards live did you see that as a future of that or did you just have to start talking about cards because you love cards yeah it's that man like i uh i so the, the, I'll try and tell you the story quickly. What happened was you go back in time to March of 2020, just just as the pandemic was starting to become a thing in North America, and there was all this speculation as to whether or not the national would happen. And 
Uh, this gentleman by the name of Justin, he goes by 610 Sports Cards on Instagram. He organized an Instagram virtual card show. And basically, he was taking, you know, you just send him your, your, send him a message and he'd give you a slot. And then you'd go live and show cards from your house or wherever and offer them for sale. And I thought, I'm going to try that. That sounds like fun. So I did that. And I had, a, I it was successful. I sold a bunch of cards and then, and, you know, lots of like some hockey, some basketball, whatever it was. I also had a bunch of like cards that were graded hockey cards, vintage that I wanted to sell. And I thought, well, Instagram isn't really the right market for that. So I went to Facebook and I found a group called like vintage hockey cards. And I said, sent a message to the administrator and I said, hey, do you mind if I go live to your to your uh, group and sell cards? And he's like, yeah, you can do that, but it has to be vintage, nothing after 1989. I said, no problem. So I went live one night in their group and it was excellent. Like I, I sat here for probably two and a half hours. I showed cards. I talked to people. They made comments and I had a really good experience just going live. And then people started sending me messages saying that was so much fun. You should do it again. And then my mind started spinning. I thought, well, I'm not somebody who really likes scanning cards. Like I know you're great and you love doing eBay. I don't love doing eBay. I find it too tedious. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was somewhere where you could go and just sell single cards, just show them to the camera? I thought maybe there should, but, but I also, I'm like, listen, that one group was for vintage hockey only. Where am I going to go for my modern hockey? There's, there's a thousand different groups. What if I want to mix in some basketball? Are they going to get mad at me? So I thought, why don't I start a new Facebook group? I'll call it Sports Cards Live, oh. and uh, and you can go on there and you can you can show your your cards. And so I got so I went to Facebook. I created the group. The name was available. And then of course you know your mind keeps on spinning. I'm like, I better see if I can get that name on YouTube. So I went to YouTube. I tried to create a channel by that name, and lo and behold, the name was available, and I snagged it. And then next step was okay. So I guess I'm gonna do something what am i going to do i don't know but i'm you know i'm going to go live on youtube at some point and i'll stream it also to my facebook page and at that point i discovered streamyard which we're using here that you're using as well streamyard is really what we all have to thank for making live streams so so seamless and and, and easy and um so i got streamyard which allows you to multi-stream to different platforms. You can push out your stream to YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, not Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all at the same time. So I did that. Now I'm streaming to my Facebook group. I'm streaming to YouTube. And next thing was, okay, well, I need a logo. So I went to fiverr.com and I paid somebody in Pakistan $25 for a logo. It's still the logo I have today, which I really like. And, um, and the next step was, okay, so now, what am I actually going to do and when am I going to do it? So I, I decided uh, I should find someone to join me on the show. So I've been good friends with a gentleman by the name of Carvin Chung, who's known as the architect, uh, Carvin15 on Instagram. And he's the guy that that invented Exquisite and the cup. And he worked at Upper Deck and Panini. He's now a GTS. He's a real, real uh, hobby legend. And I said, hey, Carvin, I'm going to do this live stream on, on YouTube. On YouTube and uh, and and Facebook, do you want to come on and we'll just have a chat? I'll interview you or something. I I had no interviewing experience. He said, "Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it." So, so April eighteenth was that first was that first interview. And uh, but before that, I, I was really nervous, man. I was so nervous the days leading up. So I thought I better do a dry run. So April sixteenth, twenty twenty, I went live and I just started talking to the camera. And uh, and that episode is still the first one on my channel. And I, I've never watched it since. I don't remember what I talked about, but but that was the first one. Then I had Carvin on on Saturday, and uh, and he can talk about any sport, any athlete, any brand, any company. And we had a great show. And uh, and then and then I was left with deciding, okay, well, what's next? Am I going to do another interview? When am I going to do it? And anyway, I decided I'm just going to find guests. So for the next year or so, every Wednesday and Saturday, I did an episode. I had a guest on, and. Um, and it just, it, it's really just built from there. Like I had no intentions for it to become a, a regular show. I didn't know how long it would last for. I didn't know what the format would be, but it's just, it's evolved as it's gone on. And I just try to keep making it better uh, and and uh, being consistent, really important to be consistent. And here we are, you know, over two years later, and I think I've done 140 episodes of Sports Cards Live, like 70 episodes of After Hours. And, uh, and then I do a show called Collectible Live as well on Sundays. And uh, we're up to episode 32 or 33 of that. So 
I've done my done my share of uh, of live stream hobby content. Yes, yes, definitely. Now, um, with your so you had your own booth at the National, correct? And so uh, people people were just coming by to see just you. Yeah. So the National in 2021, I went there and I yeah I so I, I'm fortunate. I have a I've got a couple of people who I'm close with who have a, an auction company that uh, that they set up in, at the National every year called Iconic Auctions. Uh, Jeff Wolf's mm -hmm. a good friend of mine. He's the president, and um, so he's for the last several years basically though that's my home base at the national i can you know put stuff in the safe i can i have somewhere to put my to charge my phone you know we order lunch together all these sorts of things it's really it makes it very comfortable to have a home base and um and once sports cards live started to catch on and people started to find out about it um jeff said hey you know do you want to have take a little section of our booth at the upcoming national and you can have a table and chairs, whatever you want, you know, maybe a banner or something and just just have a presence. I thought, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, so I had a couple banners made up, just, you know, those roll up banners. I, you know, I ordered a, a table, a bar table, a couple of chairs, and I just had a place to hang out, you know, at that booth. But it was like my own little section. So it was really cool, man, because you don't really understand it when you're, you know, when you're doing these shows, you're by yourself. For the most part, yeah. you are, you know, I'm sitting here every Saturday night in my, in the office in my basement doing my show by myself. But there's, you know, anywhere from dozens to hundreds of people watching and over time, thousands. And uh, you don't really know who they are or how many or what they think of you, but you know that you see the numbers. And so it was really cool to be set up at the National and people just would, you know, some people I knew, some I never didn't know would come up, introduce themselves. So I oh, love what you're doing. Keep it up. Um you know, really enjoy it. And, uh, and that was very satisfying, very gratifying to know that people really like what you're doing. It just, just uh, enforces, enforces what you're doing, it, you know, and validates it and also encourages you to keep going. I'm, I'm sure. So there was no 2020 national. And so that must have, that must have been a wild ride and gratifying in to see it all pay off because you saw the numbers increase, but then the very first time you went out and was like, I'm going to, it was the national and you got to see everybody just all at once. So you went from, and I, I, I it's interesting. So I didn't know, did you have any like hobby fame before? And then all of a sudden it all just crashed at that exact moment. Oh, hobby fame. That's, yeah. um, <laughs> I mean, I did have a bit, some people knew who I was before because in 2012, I acquired a website, an online message board community called hobbyinsider.net. And, uh, and so I've owned, I own that, I still own it today. So I've owned this website. It's just a community right now. And, you know, really by owning, you're really just the lead administrator. But in any event, um, people knew me from that and people from Upper Deck and in the game and Panini got to know me because of that as well. So I did, when I started the show, Sports Cards Live in 2020, I had all these connections in the hobby. So for me to wow. get a get, like I was, it was very easy for me to get these guests, people who work at card companies, grading companies, uh, you know, big retailers. I could really just call them up and they knew, knew who I was and take my call and agree to come on the show. So um, that, that worked to my favor as far as, uh, kind of getting good guests and continuing to get great guests, uh, for the show. So a bit of hobby, what do you call it? Hobby fame or hobby? Yeah, hobby. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a little, a little bit of it, but not like many, you know, not like Carvin Chung, who was my first guest, who's an absolute legend in the space. Um, but yeah, had a little bit. And so that helped me with uh, my show. Yeah. I, I, I'm a huge Saturday Night Live fan, and so this is going to come back full circle. But <laughs> I was online one day, and all of a sudden I saw him. Uh, there was a guy, Daryl Hammond, who played um, Bill Clinton and had a lot of other uh, characters on Saturday Night Live. But all of a sudden he was – it seemed like he had like 3,000 followers on Twitter. And I was like, he went from being having millions of people laugh at him every single week to now – 15, 20 years later, he has uh, just 3,000 Twitter followers, and he was asking people to please follow his podcast. 
And it was just uh, so when I see somebody like yourself who started from nothing and and grew up and uh, in his own niche gained a following, uh, and just to see that from from the process uh, from the same aspect of watching the guy from Saturday Night Live, basically like why doesn't anybody watch my podcast? <laughs> yeah. It's a little, it, it's it's crazy to see that. That is that's almost it's almost sad to to. To hear that but uh i think it just comes down to you you know podcasting is is um you know you have to have a hook you have to have something that's going to get people to first of all click in to listen or watch and then number two your content has to be interesting you have to keep people engaged so you know one of the things that sets me apart from just about everybody else in hobby content is the fact that my shows are all live and I do no pre-recorded stuff, nothing against it. I, I love pre-recorded stuff as well to listen to it. But for me, it's just easier to go live, one take, no edits, and then hit done. And I can get on with my day. There's no post-production, nothing I need to do afterwards. Just download the audio from StreamYard, upload it to Anchor. So it pushes out to all the podcast platforms. So my show is available. You know, the, I like when people watch it on YouTube because you have the visual to go along with the audio, but I do, I do cater to the podcast crowd because a lot of them just listen in the cars and they don't want to, they're not going to sit and watch live or watch it later, watch the rerun later. So I push it out to, to, to the podcast platforms as well. But like, like I was saying, because I do it live and because StreamYard is so, is just makes it so easy to integrate viewer comments from the chat mm -hmm into the show all you do is click on the comment it shows up on the screen for everybody to see and then you can address it so what sets my show apart is that i integrate the live chat in my show very heavily and it's become it makes the audience a part of the show and i think that's what what uh what helps me develop loyal viewers oh definitely i would say this though it also makes you seem very cerebral like I'm watching it, I'm like, how is he juggling all of this? You're thinking about your next question. Uh, you were asking me questions and I could see in your face because I was rambling because like I said, I don't talk to many people in the hobby because of where I live. So I would just talk in my, talking your ears off, having fun, just talking. But you were like, this guy has not answered my question yet. But, and you're also thinking of your next question and reading all the comments. So it was very impressive. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It, it is a bit of a juggling act, and uh, people have commented on that before that I that I do a good job at that. So I guess I do. Uh, but you know, it's a lot of practice by now, Ethan. Like you know, I'm I'm at like over 200 episodes. They average almost two hours long. Like oh, wow, I've done hundreds of hours of live streaming and doing this. So I've got a lot of experience now, maybe more than anybody, probably in in the hobby. But I don't know, you know. I don't know. I, I won't speak to other niches. I don't know. There's probably people out there that are, that are live streaming on StreamYard, uh, you know, eight hours a day, if not longer. But wow. I definitely probably have the most live stream experience in the hobby uh, where you're integrating viewer comments and, and interviewing all at the same time. I'm sure. So when um, in your hobby collecting, like you said, over 40 years, quite impressive. What would you say a moment in your hobby collecting where you started seeing things from a different angle. Like you, I say it like in a sports vernacular, like you saw the ball slow down or like, or the hoop got bigger and you're like, okay, I see what's kind of going on here. And, or I don't know, because you have a huge collection in PWCC. I saw you were on, uh, you were talking about it on Instagram and, and whatnot. And so to have such a huge collection, what was a moment where, where you saw ways to to grow your collection sure. in a way you wanted and curate it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the late, very late '80s, I, I set out on a mission to collect the rookie card of every thousand-point man in NHL history. At the time, there were like 60 of them. There's now over 90. That was my first real hobby project, and that was in literally in like '89, '90. I continued that on. Yeah. And then in two, and skip ahead, 2008, I went to the National in Chicago. I took all those cards with me and I submitted them to PSA for grading. That was my first personal, my, my first submission. I mean, I had a few graded cards at that time, but that was my first submission on my own. And, uh, and that was, that was a, a great experience. It was only eight bucks a card back then, which was phenomenal. Uh, it didn't matter what it was worth either. They were all eight bucks a card. Mm -hmm. uh, and then 
and, and so that was kind of, I don't know, that's a bit of a launch pad launch point for me. But, you know, in 2005, when Sidney Crosby entered the league, similar to 03, when LeBron James entered the NBA, that was a big turning point in the hobby for both basketball and hockey, because all of a sudden you've got these mega superstars coming in the league and you've got these new products, exquisite in basketball, and then the cup in hockey, which was based on exquisite in basketball, both created by Carvin Chung. And so that was a big, big change in the hobby. And all of a sudden you had these, you had RPAs, you had so many more pack pulled autographs and the cards were more beautiful. They were getting thicker, all these things. They, they felt more substantial. The packaging was evolving to be more of an experience and more waste, of course, but that's another story. But I'll, I'll, I'll skip ahead from all that and I'll talk about, uh, it's about 2017, 2018, I guess when you know my collection was pretty much uh like stagnant i wasn't adding a lot of cards and i needed something new and i i i don't remember how oh i found some content i found a podcast called house of jordans with chris mcgill oh. and his girlfriend or fiance christina and and his cousin as well um and so i started listening and uh and then i got this i started getting interested in these in michael jordan inserts from the 90s and i started looking into them and i started buying some and uh and i bought a bunch and um and then but to really answer your question then i realized something i realized that you know this is a trend in basketball for these rare 90s inserts and i'm like hockey my number my, my number one love in sports hockey has a lot of really cool cards too I'm going to I'm going to start collecting those because I love them. They're like essential credentials, jambalayas, precious metal gems, all these famous inserts from the 90s that that were created in hockey really in like 2012 with Clear Retro, which was licensed for hockey. And I started loading up on these things. And um, and I did that because I felt that, number one, they're awesome cards. Like I to, to this day, they're my favorites. But I also felt that the hobby is going to trend in that direction to rare inserts wow. because mm -hmm. And I was right, you know, and last night, coincidentally that we're on here today, Ethan, but last night on eBay, uh, PC sports cards had a big, a big consignment lot of Fleer Retro cards from hockey that sold for astronomical amounts of money. Like there were several cards that sold for five figures and ups, you know, and so it kind of validated my, my thoughts from back in 17, 18 to, you know, maybe get these cards because listen, I wanted to collect them, but I didn't, I wanted to spend as little money as possible. So I had to get as many as I could before other people caught on. Well, yeah. it took a couple extra years, but people have caught on now. Yeah. Fortunate for me, I already have my stash. So last night, I mean, it was hard to look at these prices because I was used to buying these cards for literally like 5% of what they're going for now. And mm -hmm. It's hard to spend, you know, a thousand dollars on a card you could have got for fifty or twenty-five three years ago. So, yeah. so the hobby, the hobby kind of caught up to what I thought was going to happen. And uh, so, yeah, I guess that that would answer that question. Oh yeah, I'm sure that was uh, amazing validation. And have you? So you've been doing this for a while, and you've got. I'm not. I don't want to say lucky because that was that was smart. But has there been a time where you were sure, like you had one of those moments? But then the pre-pandemic came and left and you were left holding the bag of cars that you thought were sure that something was going to happen, but it never caught on. No, man, I didn't like um, anything that I bought during, you know, we the hobby peaked in really Q1 of 2021. That's when we saw the peak of the hobby and uh, things were more expensive. So my spending slowed down like simple supply and demand, you know, type of thing. Mm -hmm. Cost price goes up, you spend less. So I wasn't buying as much stuff, but I was still buying some cards, but I just refocused and I was buying things that people, other people weren't buying. That's yeah. kind of a good way to do it, you know? Um, so there's a couple of cards that I had acquired right before the, the pandemic that, that went sky high and have now come right back down to earth that I still own. There was a card mm -hmm. I sold it. I, it sold on, uh, on PWCC for me on Sunday, a card I paid thirty dollars for in two thousand and nineteen, probably paid thirty bucks for it. It went to sell. It was selling for as much as like seven fifty, and I sold it on Sunday for thirty bucks. So oh. you know, so listen, mm -hmm. I left seven hundred dollars on the table by not selling it at its peak. But I'm also not somebody who just sells when things peak. I, I like to hold on to lots of my cards. I sell. I do. I have a collection. I have an inventory. They're two separate things. So 
you know, my inventory when I, I'll buy a collection from somebody who wants to get out of the hobby and then I'll sell it. That's my inventory. But anyway, mm-hmm. you know, this, this was, it was, I'll tell you the card, Pascal Siakam, Prism Silver. Oh. No, sorry, Prism Base, Rookie, PSA 10. Yeah, like that card, when it's gone on a, on a complete, it's gone full circle. So mm-hmm. I, I did not lose a penny on it, but I left money on the table had I sold it, you know, a year ago. And do I beat myself up about it? No, not at all, because I wasn't going to sell it anyway. So I'm selling it now because I just made a decision to, to change parts of my collection. Yeah, you sometimes you have to just cut bait and say we're going in this other direction. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Refocus. Not not. Awesome. I shouldn't say. I, sorry, I don't want to say refocus because I only re, listen. I people say what do you collect or who do you collect, and you know some people say I collect Tim Duncan, and that's all they collect. Or I collect Peyton Manning, and that's all they collect. I have like over thirty sub PCs within my overall PC, so I have thirty mm-hmm. interests basically that I look for one of them i just call it miscellaneous so i call it limbo it's like a bunch of just cards that i like the looks of so um when i say that i refocused or something like a part of my collection got refocused is what i meant yeah yeah i was uh, i actually when i started i was just michael jordan uh because i saw basically i saw it um it was my moment where i saw i was like that's what i go into but it was um a little interesting because I was not on Instagram or YouTube at all. I was just on eBay. And right. then I, it was not until I was about to leave my job after I was, it was not until I was about to leave my job that I started looking on Instagram and YouTube and started looking around and I was like, Oh, there's, there's a thriving community. And uh, wh- what I was going to ask you is the drama of the of the hobby uh, community, how does that enter into your show? Like I saw you had Brian Gray throw. I said he's. I left a comment that he was throwing grenades on your show, lobbing grenades, um, and talking and just no no hold barred. But uh, when does that show up in your show, or is, or how often does that? Yeah, I mean, I have Brian, Brian Gray's been on five or six times with me. He's a, he's a great guest. He's so animated and. He has a ton of it. He's been in the hobby full time since like 1990, maybe earlier. So he's got a ton of knowledge and experience and he knows the history of the hobby like very few people do. But there's, you know, yeah, Ethan, the hobby is filled with drama and negativity all the time. You know, it, it, it does it does kind of come in waves a little bit where it heats up, but there's always some always something going on and it, it shows up in my show. I have controversial guests on my show uh, regularly and that's part of what I do though, I bring I bring guests on the show for the hobby to meet and then judge for yourself if you like these people. So, uh, but you know, there's Instagram. Instagram has really gone downhill in my opinion over the last, I don't know, year or so. It's, it's really just become the hobbies complaint department, you know, and, and the hobbies yeah. throw each other under the bus department and the hobby let's try to ruin somebody's life department. There's a lot of people that, uh, that I think just, um, you know, that's, that's how they, that's how they deal with the anger and disappointments in their regular life. And they just come out swinging. Now, all that said, there are a lot of bad actors in our hobby who should be gone and, you know, don't have a place in the hobby. And when those, when, when attacks on them are presented, uh, in a, in a somewhat professional way where it's, you know, here are the facts now act accordingly, hobby act accordingly. Yeah. Um, I think I, I have no problem with that. But yeah, I mean, there's just so much. Sometimes I get to the point where I just don't want to look on Instagram for a while because it's almost depressing. And this hobby that I love so much, people can mm-hmm. make it seem like we're, it's just a cesspool of idiots. And um, and sometimes it is. So, you know, I sometimes think I just turn off Instagram, you know, maybe reduce the amount of YouTube I'm watching. Twitter's not so bad, at least the ones that I'm, the, the people that I follow. And uh and, and when that happens, though, Ethan, as a, as a you know, a, a, a true collector, a lover of cards, I always, what I've said before is, you know, I can just go to my cards. I can pull up my cards, certain cards. I can lay them out. I can group them differently. I can, you know, put all the this player together or that brand together or find some cool pairings and just enjoy the cards. And I also have some really good friends, lifelong friends now who, like, lifelong moving forward who I've met through the hobby. I wouldn't know them if it wasn't for the hobby. And some of these guys have become my closest friends. So, you know, when when the hobby, 
when the hobby uh, community gets you down, turn to your cards and turn to your close hobby friends. That's my advice. Definitely. I When I look at it, I see like maybe like 75% of it if, of people just being jealous. And when I think of jealousy, I think of it as like a, as like a childish thought process to think that you have good cards or great cards or you're popular or you have more friends or any of those things, which all those things might be true. <laughs> but mm-hmm. to think of that and to be jealous, like I'm like, I'm a, a, like a kindergartner, I just can't, my mind doesn't even equate to it. So, um, yeah. but uh, one comment on that is that, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, people, uh, it's jealousy is one jealousy is definitely something that, that exists. I think everybody would like to, to, you know, have more maybe if they're unhappy in their life or they're unsatisfied to some degree. Um, but there's a lot that all the, the, the hate, there's a lot of haters out there and they love to hate. And it's really up to the person who's being hated on how you want to respond to that. And, uh, I've got a strategy for it that, and I'm not the best at it. I'm not the best at it, of course, but, I have a strategy that seems to work for me. And one thing that, that I like that, that I get reminded of every so often uh, from other social media uh, po- um, accounts, you know, more of the, the like, I don't know, the, the lifestyle type of accounts is that, you know, if you've had, if you have a hater or you have haters, that means that you've, you've made it, you've, you've got some success. And, and so it's almost a, it's almost a badge of accomplishment when you have haters. So, I don't have many, but I do have a couple and I'm glad I do because they make me feel like, okay, what I'm doing, I'm doing something right because mm-hmm. hey, listen, they're hating on me, but they're spending time listening to me and watching me. So obviously oh. they like something about what I'm doing or, you know, I'm living in their heads rent free and I'm pretty, it's pretty easy for me to just dismiss them completely. So, um, have at or haters. <laughs> exactly. Well, I personally have not heard of anybody hating on you or noticed that. So it's, it's definitely it's a it's a small uh, community if there if there is one. So, but I want to take a minute to thank you for being so kind to me and uh, to let me on your podcast, listen to me ramble on, and uh, for for just being nice. That was uh, that was really cool uh, and to take your time. And if anybody wants to uh, watch uh, Sports Cards Live, and you also you said you have a, a Sunday show on Collectible. Yeah, yeah. So Sports Cards Live is the name of, of my YouTube channel and Collectible, the fractional the, the fractional investment uh, hobby company. They, they do fractionalization of sports cards and memorabilia. They hired me about just under a year ago to host a show on their channel called Collectible Live. They just they liked what I was doing and they wanted me. They asked me if I would do the same style show on their channel. So I said, yeah, hey, that sounds great. So I do that Sunday, seven o'clock Eastern. We go live on the Collectible TV YouTube channel. And your wife is just like, the more the merrier. <laughs> uh, great question. <laughs> I have an amazing wife. She uh, she is just very, uh, she's a very independent person, you know. She she doesn't uh, take it personally that I spend time down here doing hobby stuff. We spend, we spend time together, probably not as much as, as other couples do. But, I mean, I'm a busy guy. I've got lots of interests. I'm, you know, I'm trying to, uh, support our family various ways. And, uh, so yeah, she has no, no, she's never, never had a problem with it. It was this past. I very rarely, Ethan, over the last two years have I taken off a Saturday to, to not, and not done a, an episode of sports cards live. I took off last Saturday because it was her, it was that day was her birthday. So we went out for dinner and we spent the evening together and I did not do a show, which is kind of nice to take a break once in a, once in a while on Saturday, but consistency is very important in this game. You have to keep consistent, but I think the viewers understood that I took a week off, and they're okay with that. You didn't do an after-hour show. I I thought I might, <laughs> but no, I didn't. I said to P, I said I'm, there's a slim chance I'll come on late and do after hours, but you know I, I didn't. We just uh, we just hung out. That's awesome. Well, I, I have a uh, I have a wife too, and she we we spend time. She she likes to watch her shows, Ninety Day Fiance, and and uh, and anything on discovery and so we take time give her her time and then but she does appreciate that uh somehow i come out to the office with all these cards and shelves and and have employees and somehow it all gets taken care of so she that she's appreciative uh right. and and also patient so sounds, but she sounds, she, she sounds lovely 
Yes, definitely she is. Uh, well, I want to once again thank you so much, and um, I think that's about it. I well, appreciate you, Jeremy. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Ethan. This was this was a lot of fun. I, I like your style, and uh, good luck with Gem Mint Possible and your new uh, raw grading business as well. I wish you luck with that too. Thank you very much.